We are continuing our series, but we do see Jesus. And I got to tell you, when I first heard the title, I wasn't exactly for sure what it was all about. I was, I was, I was interested. It's exciting to me, but I, I, there was, I was a little bit skeptical. I always love series about Jesus, but at the same time, I, I wasn't for sure what we were talking about. And so as the preaching team began to explain kind of the concept to me, we're looking at Jesus beyond the Gospels. When we look at Jesus in the Gospels, we see this picture of Jesus and we see his life. But is it possible that there's more for us to see outside of the Gospels? And so even into the epistles, into the, into the New Testament, could we get an even fuller, more full picture of Jesus through those passages of Scripture? And as we've been going through, I've, I've enjoyed just seeing what Scripture teaches us about Jesus in this way. I've got to tell you that there have been times in my life where I've had some degree of skepticism. I don't know, have you ever experienced that where you were skeptical on some level? Some degree of skepticism. And kind of to to show that or to, to, to prove that, I want you to know I never bought the sham wow. I, I never bought it. I saw it advertised. Um, three easy payments of $19.99 via check or money order. And I just didn't send in for it. Because I'm, I can be fairly skeptical. The same, the same was true with the Snuggie. I, I didn't get it. Uh, I didn't buy it from a wife. I didn't buy it from my kids. I definitely didn't buy it from my animal. Um, Just not a snuggy guy. And the reason is because I've always, I've always just been kind of skeptical. I've had some skepticism. In fact, I can remember as far back as I can go, I had some skepticism. And I think maybe one of the first examples of that was when I was a kid and I remember seeing the ads, the sea monkeys and the x-ray vision glasses and everything. And I saved up. I thought, I got to have one of these things. So I saved up and I got that Polaris nuclear powered submarine, $6.98. And I saved up for it. And when it came in, it was not as good as it, as it seemed it should be. Okay. And it occurred to me at that moment, and as I've tried some of these other products as well, um, they are not as good as you think. And sometimes I think our expectations maybe are kind of high and then you, then you get this thing that you've been saving up for or waiting for and it doesn't meet those expectations that you learn that things are never quite as great as they claim to be. And that skepticism sits in and I've felt that skepticism in different aspects of my life and here's what I've learned. It's not just when purchasing things, it can be for big things as well. Have you felt skepticism? Have you had skepticism in life? Have you had skepticism about big things, even maybe in regards to faith? When I see Jesus, I see him constantly surrounded by skeptics. People challenging him, people asking some big questions of him, and and really, maybe the back thought, the thought in the back of their minds is, are we going to be let down? Is he going to let us down? And one of the ways that I see these skeptics in the life of Jesus is when Jesus talked about himself as a king. 
As Jesus talked about himself as a king, so oftentimes people would question him and people would challenge him because they didn't think that Jesus met up to their expectations. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people back then, and I wonder if it's not true for people today as well. And one of the passages of Scripture that comes to my mind that makes me think about this is in Isaiah chapter 9. Because in Isaiah 9, we see this picture of, of Jesus or the coming Messiah and what he might look like as a king. So let's read together in Isaiah chapter 9, starting at verse 6. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of, the, of peace, there shall be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He says the Messiah is coming. He will reign on his throne for no, for, for no end. He'll be of the line of David. This will be the king. The king coming is the Messiah. And it looked like as we looked at that, the Messiah would come and rule as a king. But as Jesus came to this earth, there was a lot of skepticism about that. A lot of skepticism. And we really see that kind of come together in John chapter 18 as Pilate questions Jesus and he says this, are you a king? Are you a king? Because clearly Jesus does not look like the kind of individual that a king would look like, how a king would look. And so he asked him, are you a king? And you can just hear the skepticism. The skepticism of Pilate, the skepticism of the people there who had read Isaiah and knew perhaps what the Messiah should look like. And this realization inside of them that, you know, people are never quite as great as they claim to be and things are not quite as great as they claim to be. And he claims to be a king, but he's just this man And I see this throughout the, throughout the New Testament as the wise men are told that the king is coming. And so they go and they tell King Herod and they say, hey, Jesus, the king, the Messiah is coming. And they came to bring gifts towards the king. And King Herod makes plans. Of course he would. He feels threatened. So he makes plans to kill Jesus, the Messiah. But... He could have never anticipated that this Christ that was coming, the Messiah who was coming, would be born in a manger in Bethlehem. That just doesn't make sense. He couldn't have imagined that Jesus would be the child of a poor carpenter and a young mother. Just couldn't have imagined it. And they didn't anticipate the one who would, you know, pick up a towel instead of picking up a scepter. Or the one who, uh, who would choose self-sacrifice over self-indulgence. That's not a king. And so Pilate asked him, he said, are you a king? And Jesus responded and he said, look, not the kind of king that you're familiar with. Not the kind of king that you're familiar with. Jesus said it this way, my kingdom is not of this world. 
It's not of this world. And that's kind of the twist in Scripture, the kind of the, you know, great stories have a twist. And here's the twist is they were looking for this physical king and Jesus was coming to be a spiritual king. And in that way, Jesus, even though they misunderstood him and didn't know what to think of him, Jesus was so much better than they could have ever anticipated. You see, Jesus surprised everyone when he came to vanquish sin. He came to rule over Satan. He didn't come to conquer territories. He came to conquer hearts. He came to change lives. And I can feel the skepticism inside of me begin to begin to, to go away as I think about the fact that Jesus is so much better than we anticipated. He's not like that Polaris nuclear sub that comes in the mail and I imagine it's this great thing and it's just pieces of plastic, a little plastic toy. Jesus comes and he claims to be king and what we get is this servant and he's so much better than we expected. But in that process of thinking through that, it does raise this question. So in the Bible, when we talk about King Jesus... Are we always speaking about the humble servant? When we talk about Jesus in Scripture, are we always talking about the humble servant? Because when I read the Gospels, that's what I see. I see Jesus as king and he's the humble servant. But I got to tell you, that's whenever I open up the New Testament, I open up the letters, I open up the book of Revelation, and I see a different king jesus than i even see in the gospels we do see jesus and when we open up the passages of scripture and begin to read further we see even more we see the whole light of who jesus is a king and that's what i see in revelation chapter 19 if you want to turn with me to revelation 19 because here in revelation 19 we see a picture of jesus not the kind of king that we see in the gospels but even more. So let's read together in Revelation chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 11. Here's what it says. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh are the name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Now, if we just take a look at this text and we just look at all the times names come up, the names for this individual, here's what I want you to see. He is called faithful and true, the Word of God, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. If you've read through the Gospels, you know who we're talking about here. This is King Jesus. It's King Jesus, the one we know. And we know it's Jesus because we've heard Jesus talk about himself and others talk about Jesus. 
As Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the faithful and true one. As, as Jesus is called in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. That's Jesus we're talking about, or King of kings and Lord of lords. That's terminology used to describe this one who would be the King of the Jews. It's King Jesus. But there's another uh, name phrase here that's used as well. And I want you to notice it. It says this, that he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. And I guess that kind of, for me, kind of says what I'm feeling as I read this passage of Scripture is this, that even though this is King Jesus that I know, there's also something about him that I am not familiar with. He is, like, he is like unlike anything I have ever seen before. This Jesus is unlike anything I have ever seen before. I, I see this picture of Jesus and it looks like Jesus, but in some ways it looks very different than Jesus. I guess what I'm trying to say is he is both recognizable and unrecognizable simultaneously to me. And I hope you see that in the passage, that there's a part of him that you see that you're like, that man, that really looks like Jesus. And there's another part that you're like, man, that's, that's different than I would imagine. He's, you know, there's a similarity, some similarities here to Jesus, but there's some things that are different than what I see about Jesus in the Gospels. And one of the first things I see about Jesus here is this, that he is wearing a crown. Now let's look at what it says in the passage of Scripture. Verse 12, it says, On his head are many diadems. Many diadems. You know, the idea of Jesus wearing a crown is not very foreign to us. We see lots of pictures of Jesus wearing a crown. We see Jesus on the cross wearing the crown of thorns. But this is different because Jesus, it says, he's wearing many diadems. When we talk about New Testament crowns, a lot of times we'll talk about the victor's crown, that Christians are to race towards the, the, the goal of gaining the victor's crown. This is not the victor's crown in the Greek. This idea diadem, it's the crown of the king, the ruler, the sovereign lord. And it doesn't say he's wearing one crown. He's wearing many crowns of the sovereign lord. Well, why is he wearing so many crowns? That's the question. Why is he wearing so many crowns? Well, look at the text, what it says. Because he judges and makes war. And it goes on and says, he strikes down the nations. He is king of kings. So the first thing we see about Jesus in this passage of Scripture is he is unlike any Jesus we ever saw in the Gospels before. Because in the Gospels we see Jesus wearing this crown of thorns. But here we see Jesus wearing the crowns of those kings that he has defeated. Jesus the victorious one. Jesus the king. Wearing crowns of those he has defeated. But the text goes on, it says, not only is he wearing crowns, he's riding something. You know what he's riding? He's riding a white horse. And those who follow him are riding white horses. Once again, as I look at that, there's something that I, I recognize here, but there's something also here that's not so recognizable. I remember Jesus riding in. Do you guys remember Jesus riding in on the, on the colt, the donkey? You remember that? On the donkey's colt, he comes in and they're laying down their the branches before him and saying, Hosanna, son of David, this is the king coming in. Uh, commentators will talk about this and they'll say, hey, if you come in on a donkey and you're a king, you know what that represents? Peace. I come in peace, right? 
But Jesus comes in on a white horse. He says, this is the conquering king. This is the king who's declaring war. So we have these two pictures of Jesus now. One of Jesus who is wearing the crown of thorns or perhaps riding on the donkey in peace. We have this other picture of Jesus where he's got all these many crowns and he's riding on a horse. Let's continue on in the text. What's he wearing? Text says this, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, once again, that's very familiar with, with me. When I see Jesus clothed in clothing covered in blood, I think of the crucifixion. And it reminds me, yeah, I've seen that before, but this is different. Because this time Jesus is covered in blood of warfare. And the text will go on and it'll say he's, he's trampling out the grapes of his wrath. Here Jesus is and he's stomping these, these grapes. The idea of like the juice of these grapes kind of falling on his clothing. This picture of Jesus in battle. Before we saw him wearing clothing and it, it was covered in blood, but it was his blood. But now we see Jesus covered in blood and it's because he's been in battle. And that's why he has all the crowns, and that's why he's riding on the horse, because Jesus has been in battle. We've seen Jesus before, but not like this. Well, the text says he's king of kings. I want you to notice this. It doesn't just say he's king of kings. It also says he's lord of lords. And that phrase opens this idea of the reign of Jesus, the realm of which he controls. So what does this Jesus control? Well, the text is going to tell us. The first thing it says is this. He controls the armies of heaven. I want you to look at what it says in verse 14. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in their linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. So here we have Jesus now, and he's surrounded by those that he is leading. Leading to heaven. The obedient the followers. And I want you to see what they're wearing according to the text. They are pure and they are white. Such a beautiful picture. Contrast this to what we know about Jesus from the past. What we saw about Jesus before. The last time we saw Jesus, he was alone. He was alone, deserted by the followers who chose to sin and reject him. But now here Jesus is with, quite frankly, those same followers. And this time, those followers are those who would follow him, who have been purified from their sins, and he is leading his followers. What an awesome picture of Jesus. But the people that are not, you know, in this story, his reign and his realm, it's not just the faithful, it's also the unfaithful who are in this story as well. We see Jesus' rule and his reign over them. It says, in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. In righteousness, this king judges and makes war. He is a righteous judge. Now, once again, very familiar to me. I remember Jesus with his hand on the sand, and they're, they're the Pharisees, and they're trying to trap the woman caught in adultery. And at that moment, he is making judgments, and he's, he's there. I see the judge. But at that moment, as he's judging, I see him judging mercifully. In this picture of Jesus, 
He's also just, but this time he's judging in war. Two pictures of Jesus, one from the Gospels and one from the book of Revelation, both of them king, but in this story, he judges differently. I just want to go through the list again. Notice the difference. Here we have the crown of thorns, Jesus in the gospel wearing the crown of thorns. Here we have Jesus in Revelation wearing multiple crowns as king. On one he's riding a donkey, the other he's riding a white horse for victory. We see Jesus covered in blood. One's his blood, the other is the blood of those that he's conquered. And then we have Jesus alone and deserted, but here's Jesus leading his faithful followers. And finally, the Jesus who judges, but he judges justly and mercifully. And now here you have Jesus judging, and he's judging justly, but in this case, in warfare. That's a big contrast. And I want you to see the contrast, because I want you to see how the story of Jesus as king is, is it's made, it's exposed in the book of Revelation. Well, we have one last thing about Jesus, and it's a description of the way he physically looks in his body. And here's what it says. His eyes are like flames of fire, and his mouth, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And I got to tell you, when I hear that, it is terrifying to me. It is completely terrifying to me and I see this imagery of Jesus with these flaming eyes and the sword coming out of his mouth and if you read through the commentaries and there's a lot to this but here's the big takeaway in both of these is this you cannot escape Jesus you cannot escape him you can't escape his word and you can't escape his vision his gaze this Jesus has direction he knows what, he's want, what he wants, and he's going to get it. And no one can escape that. How different that picture is from the Jesus of the New Testament of the Gospels. We see Jesus here where the world gets to choose him. Are you going to choose Jesus? Some people say yes. Some people say no. Some people are going to be obedient. Some people are going to be disobedient. We get to choose. In this picture in Revelation, you can't escape him. And that's a big difference. So as I read through that passage, I see this recognizable Jesus, but I also see a very unrecognizable Jesus. And I get to thinking to myself, you know what? I feel like I've seen this before. When I read through this, it just, it just dawns on me. I feel, you know, even though this version of Jesus or this picture of Jesus is foreign to me in a lot of ways, I do feel this connection like I've seen it before and then it dawns on me. This reminds me of God. And I think that's the point. Is that in this passage of scripture, we see Jesus as God. It's still Jesus. Still the one who died on the cross. Still the one who, who poured out his blood for our sins. But in this picture, Jesus is God. And that's what Hebrews chapter 1 talks about when it talks about Jesus' is a king and as a priest, and it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, what we're saying is, now I finally see this completed picture of Jesus. He is the righteous and glorious king, Jesus, 
the righteous and glorious King Jesus who reigns over all creation with power and authority. And when I see that, the first thought I have is this. That's scary. That's scary. But here's the thing I want you to know. This is a picture for me. This is God for us. You see, as you see Jesus riding in on the white horse and vanquishing enemies, he's doing it for the church. It's for us. As Jesus is riding into battle and he's purified the saints, it's for us. As the enemies face him and are conquered, it's for us. The same Jesus who wore the crown of thorns is now wearing the crown as king because he loves us. If you know the context of Revelation, what's happening in the book? The persecution of the church. And this is God's response. I, I see you. I care about you. I'm not abandoning you. I'm doing this for you. Well, I got to tell you, when I hear all of this and it gets in my head, I get to ask this question. So what do I do about all this? What, what do I do about all this? I mean, that's a lot of information. You know, the, the, what do I do with all this? And I told you before, my skepticism has lowered because now I've seen that Jesus, God, you know, when God says he's going to do something, I'm confident he's, he's very capable to do it. At the same time, there is still this skepticism, but yeah, but you know, in the Old Testament, he was going to come as king and then he came in a different way. Is Revelation 19, is that literal? I mean, that's a book of pictures. Is that what's going to happen? So there's still some skepticism there. And for that answer, I turn to the Apostle Paul. Because Paul's talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy. And at the end of the passage of Scripture, he's trying to encourage Timothy. And he's trying to tell him, look, Timothy, you got to keep going. There are times in your life when you want to slow down and you don't want to keep going. you got to keep going. And here's what he says at the very end of 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says this, Jesus is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He says, the version of Jesus you see in Revelation, this is the version of Jesus I want you to think about. He, he is real. This is Jesus. Jesus is Lord and King. He, he dwells in inapproachable light. He is eternal, King of kings and Lord of lords. But then he says this, and this is beautiful. This is amazing to me. Verse 15, and he will be revealed or displayed at the proper time. I wish you knew the Greek word here because it's such a fascinating word. That word displayed is the same word that's used when Jesus walks up to the apostles and he says, see my side and see my hands. Same word. When Jesus approaches the apostles and he says, see my side and see my hands, the word there is displayed in English 
Same word as this word. And what it means is this, to see something with your eyes. Paul tells Timothy, you are going to see Jesus with your eyes. We will see him with our own eyes. What version of Jesus? The version of Jesus that we see as God and as king. Well, Paul tells Timothy one other thing in the passage of Scripture. He says this. He says, you made a good confession of faith about Jesus. Now keep the commandments. And it's really fascinating because when he does this, he, he refers to Pilate. And he talks about the confession of faith made by Jesus, the same confession of faith made by Jesus regarding Pilate. In other words, Jesus was being asked by Pilate, are you a king? And Jesus said, I am. And Paul tells Timothy, can I tell you something? You did the same thing. When you went into those waters, you confessed Jesus as king. Now guess what? Start living like he's king in obedience to him. If he is king, now I obey him as my king. The point is this, as we confess him, so we must obey him. And this obedience demonstrates that we are allegiant to the king. As we confess him, so we must obey him. As we confess him, so we must obey him. And this obedience demonstrates that we are allegiant to the king. You see, as scary as Revelation chapter 19 is, for us it doesn't have to be. Because for us who are obedient to the king, he leads us in purity. It's an exciting passage of scripture. If Christ is your king. So that's the question we want to ask today. Is Christ your king? We heard him talk about it. We heard him say that he was king and we watched him wear the crown of thorns and we heard those mock him and make fun of him whenever he declared it. And they ridiculed him. And he was lifted up as our king, not on a throne, but on a cross. And he self-sacrificed for us. And now here he comes. He's coming in his glory. He's coming as God in righteousness and in justice. And the question is this, will we declare him as king and be obedient to him as our king? That's the question today. I hope you've made him your king and your Lord. If you haven't, it's time to do so. It's time to make that same confession of faith that Peter made. The same confession of faith that Timothy made. The same confession of faith that Jesus made. The same confession of faith that all of the followers of Christ make. Declaring him as Lord and King and being obedient to him. Dying with him in the waters of baptism. This is that time. If you need anything from, from this church or this body, we are here to serve you today. Won't you come now as we stand and as we sing together?